Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. This is Saul Weinreb, the host of the podcast, and we're continuing our study of the second book of Samuel, that's Shmuel Bet. We are in chapter 12, that's Perak Bet, and we are about to read verse 13. <coughs> in the last podcast, Nathan has confronted David, <coughs> exposed his, his sin, and, and declared to him, that he is going to be um, punished as the sword will never leave his household. <coughs> in other words, there will be strife in his household and that his sin will be exposed in public as just as he had taken someone else's wives, his own wives will be taken from him. David's reaction is what we're about to read. And David's reaction was extremely simple. And from here we really learn what, how is a person supposed to um, uh, admit his faults? How is a person supposed to approach God or, for that matter, anyone when someone does, does something bad to someone else, when somebody hurts someone else? What is an apology supposed to sound like? And it's actually very simple. But that's the most meaningful. Vayomer David on our son David said to Nathan, Adonai, I have sinned to God. <coughs> Basically, no excuses. David doesn't give a whole story about why he did, what he did. He could have done, he should have done, he might have done, but really, but really, but maybe, but this. No, very simple. I have sinned. And of course, this stands in stark contrast to Saul's reaction when he was confronted with his sin that was to give a whole bunch of excuses and he didn't actually, you know, rather than admit his fault. Obviously, this sin does not take over, this, this admission here does not mitigate the gravity of what David had done. And what he had done will have lasting repercussions and the suffering and the punishments will, will happen to David. However, and as we will read, however, the quality that, uh, that David um, said over here, and try to compare this with many leaders that we, that we are familiar with from our own times and from previous times, that when confronted with, uh, initially with, uh, with the uh, sins that they have committed, with the, uh, un, the uh, you know, unethical and immoral acts that they had committed, their immediate reaction is always, either to double down or to say it didn't really happen or to try to cover it up, to make excuses, to say, oh, but, you know, to the, the whataboutisms, oh, but what about them? See what they did. No, that's not how David reacted. David reacted very simply. I have sinned. I am wrong. And David said, and Nathan said to David, Gam Adonai God has passed over your sin. Lo tamas, you shall not die. What does this mean, Ha'avir? It doesn't say he has, um, he has forgiven, right? It doesn't say him chil right, right, or 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 that his sliach, right? You know that that you know that he forgave it, but it says that he has passed over. He's not going lo tamus, you shall not die. In other words, this isn't going to be your end. One wonders had David reacted in a similar way to Saul. Had David reacted with a million different excuses and cover-ups and, and, and mind-bending nonsense, what would have been 
Nathan's answer? What would God's answer through the prophet have been to David had David started making excuses? One gets the sense, at least, obviously, anytime someone engages in the what if or what would have been if, it's always a dangerous proposition because no one really knows what would have been if. But one gets the sense from this verse that had David chosen a different route, the result would have been that God would not have been at so He would not have passed over his, his sin and that David would have, have, have been um, killed because of it. Ephes, however, and, and Nathan continues to say, it's not over. Because you have um you have uh, uh, you have rejected the literally this means the enemies of God now this is something that we find in several places where it's it doesn't want to state the verse doesn't want to state that someone has has rejected uh, God himself uh, so so it says the enemies of God, but it's a euphemism. It really refers to at God himself, by doing this thing. <coughs> the son who will be born from this, most is going to die. The child is not going to make it. <coughs> Nathan went home. And God struck the child that was born, the young boy that was born to the wife of Uriah. It's emphasizing her as the wife of Uriah, even though now technically she's David's wife. And he became struck with illness. He became very sick. And David um, uh, prayed to God uh, on behalf of the nar, of the boy. It uses a language nar, which is usually a language of a lad, which gives the impression that it wasn't—he wasn't an infant as he was dying; that he was a little older. You know, that's that's unclear. But but the language that it's used is the before that that it caused him the language a yell at a boy, and now in this verse nar, which is gives the idea of an of an even older lad, like you know, thirteen, fourteen years old. But it's it's hard to know because it doesn't specify this clearly from the verses itself. At least, by Yotzam David Tzom and David fasted a fast uvav elon v'shachav arza, and he um, he went in and spent the night lying down on the ground. Um, and so David is lying on the ground, fasting, crying to God on behalf of this boy. One you know one gets the impression that if it's an older child, he had already developed a bond of love for this boy. Uh, we, he's not given a name here in the verse, but uh, he developed a tremendous love for his son, and, and now he's crying and fasting, crying to God. <coughs> the elders of his house came to try to get him up. He is the king, after all. <coughs> he has, he has uh, kingly duties to do, and he's lying on the floor of, a, of, of, a, of the house. He would not move. He would, he refu- he would not give in to them. And he would not even eat together, which is uh, bread with the with the elders, which is obviously one of the functions of the king is to sit uh, at, at and dine with his uh, with his advisors. But he wouldn't even do that. It was on the seventh day, presumably after he became ill. And the, and the boy died. And they were afraid to even inform him that the child had passed away. Ki amru, because they said, 
and they thought he when he was alive, we tried to speak to him and he wouldn't listen. And how could we tell him that the child has died and he might do something awful, which is understood by the um, the uh, commentaries, and it's it seems pretty clear that he's going to do something bad to himself. They were afraid David was going to harm himself, possibly even uh, commit suicide over being so distraught. And clearly, he is so distraught because um, because uh, of of the tremendous amount of guilt, realizing that this death is occurring, that this this has had happened because of his um, because of his behavior, because of his the tremendous amount of guilt that he was living with, that you can imagine the uh, possibility that he might hurt himself. Vayar David and David saw that his servants were whispering to each other that obviously something happened that they were keeping from him. And it was obvious David understood from the behavior of the people around him that he had passed on. <coughs> so David asked them, Has he died? And they said, He has died. <coughs> David at that point got up from lying down on the ground and he um and he washed himself off from obviously he gathered all kinds of dirt and junk from the ground and he uh, washed it all off and he um smeared himself with uh, anointed himself with oil uh and he changed into clean clothing and he came to the house of God and he bowed there Dying, uh, praying to God, and then he came on, and he asked for food to eat, he no longer had to fast, there was no longer <coughs> um, any point to praying for the boy's recovery if he had passed. And his servant said to him, what is this your behavior? You are so distraught over his illness, We'd think that you'd be even more distraught over his death. When he was alive, you were fasting and crying. Now he passed on and you're getting up and eating. So he said, verse 22, When he was still alive, I was fasting and crying. Because he's thinking, maybe, maybe, God will have some mercy on me. And um, and allow the boy to live. But now Mace, he's dead. What's the purpose of fasting if it's over? Is there anything I can do to bring him back to life? <coughs> I can go to him, but he can't come back to me. In other words, I can do everything I want, but nothing, It's it, the fate is sealed, it's over. There's no purpose in just dragging on the 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 fasting and and self self torture. <coughs> David then went and comforted Bathsheba, his wife, Bathsheba, the mother of the child. And he uh, uh, he came upon her, meaning they slept together. And he, let, he lied with her. And she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. And she called his name Shilomo. Right, um, which is uh, a name which uh, means peace or Solomon. 
and God loved him. Uh, exactly what this means refers to, we will see through, through the course of his life, but clearly it, it connotes a, the, the impression, it gives, the, uh, gives us the idea, the impression that, that Shlomo had a spiritual quality about him, that he was beloved by God. Um, and he uh, he sent and what was here it's, it's it, God sent a message through his prophet Nathan by Nathan gave um, gave uh, Shlomo the name Yedidya or Jedediah which means beloved of God or a friend of God Bavur Adonai on behalf of God himself in other words Nathan gave him that name on behalf of God because God had given Nathan the message to name him Yedidya. Okay, so that was the story. And then all of a sudden we jump back to the war, which is still ongoing, um, in Amon. So Yoav and the soldiers are still fighting against Amon. How, how long this war has taken, whether it's years or whether the child died very young and it was a short amount of time, is not made clear in the text itself. But clearly this war is still going on. And Yoav then waged war against the Rabbah, the city of uh, the capital city of Ammon, and he captured the royal city of Ammon. And Yoav then sent messengers to David, I have waged war against Rabbah, I have captured the city of water, which presumably is, is, is the, their source of sustenance, the city's source of water. I am going uh, um, to um, gather uh, together the remaining troops, the remaining soldiers. Because um, I'm sorry, this is a, I didn't translate this correctly. Verse 28. And now, so Yoav says, now you gather together the rest of the troops and, and, and capture, and you camp on the city and capture it. Because if I capture the city, then people will say that Yoav was the one that captured it. <laughs> so Yoav is telling his master, the king, you come here with the soldiers because you're the one that people should be the one that, 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 that captures the city. So people will remember that, that it was David who capture the city, and it will be called on David's name. The victory will belong to the king. So remember that this whole thing all started that we've been just reading about because David stayed home and left the work to Yoav. And Yoav is saying now, now that the big victory is about to happen, at least now you as the king should step in and lead. So David gathered the remaining soldiers and he went to Rabbi and he attacked it and captured it. Now that they had taken their water supply and they had the city completely surrounded, the rest of the job was easy. And he took the uh, the crown of the king from his from the king's head, and the weight was kikar zahav, was a, a kikara a talent or a measurement of a large amount of gold, and there was a precious stone in the crown, and, and he placed the crown, the crown was placed upon the head of David, and the 
the booty that was uh, taken out of the city of Rabbah was a lot, was a very large amount. <coughs> and the people that were within it, he took out. And he... Um, and he placed them to work with, these are tools, Megera, Vacharitze, Abarzal, these are, are saws and iron threshing boards, and Uvimagziros, Habarzal, and uh, iron axes or, you know, iron picks. Vehavirosam Osam, Bimalbain, and he brought them to make them, uh, to sign them to make bricks. And this is what he did to all of the outlying cities of the people of Ammon. And David and the nation reigned in Jerusalem. In other words, he put them to work to uh, build uh, iron. And iron, you know, obviously is, was used uh, especially for making weapons. But also he had them making bricks, uh, presumably to help build David's new kingdom. Uh, um, whose basis was in Jerusalem, which is why it says, Am Yerushalayim. So the, the battles continued and David was still successful, although there isn't a, a lot of glory given to David in this case because the city was basically just about conquered anyway and David just finished off the last bit. But he had the opportunity to have the glory of victory in his name. So we get the sense David's kingdom is moving on and the first of, 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 of the suffering that happened in David's house as a result of his sin, uh, we read about the death, the tragic death of his son, and we also see David's reaction, the simple, heartfelt uh, remorse that he felt, and now he's bracing himself for what's to come, which we will continue reading in future chapters. Thank you for studying this chapter together with me. Looking forward to studying chapter 13 and, of course, the rest of this book of Samuel together.